The psalmist says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And the implication is you have a choice about that. You wake up to a day like this one, and there are all sorts of things that are going to be a part of that. And maybe you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, or maybe you're having a tough week, or maybe the journey has just been rocky. But the psalmist always reminds us that another day is a gift. And you have a choice about how you enter in it. And I hope in the gift of this day, you will rejoice and be glad. As we worship here this morning, today, we're going to be joined by Baylor's 14th president, Judge Ken Starr. And we're so grateful for him and his leadership and the way that he brings enthusiasm to every moment he encounters here at Baylor. I'm also aware every time that I'm with him how much he loves us, not just the Baylor family, but he loves us and he blesses us with his presence and his passion. And he'll be coming out a little later to talk with you about liberty and religious liberty and freedom and how critical that is to our journey together and the calling that is upon us. It's, it's been central in the history and identity of Baptists and other evangelicals and religious groups in particular that have flourished here in America. But we're going to think on that with him. So as he comes in a moment, I want you to listen carefully and engage with him as he speaks to us as we worship together. Liz is going to help us as we call ourselves to worship now. Join with me in the responsive reading. I'll read the light if you read the bold. Let us worship God, our light, and our salvation. We desire to live in God's house and to seek God in his holy temple. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. Let's dance together this morning as we sing. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, and worship his holy name. Sing like never before. I will keep on 
Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli. Here I am, for you have called me. I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. Then the Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, for you called me. I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli. Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Yes, Lord, I am listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Yes, Lord, I'm listening. as we sing.
written by our university chaplain a few months ago, and I think it's great as we start the semester. God of all comfort, hear our prayers. For those whose lives have become too full and those who need places of fulfillment, here are prayers for those who lack discipline to study and for those who lack permission to play, for those whose faith is shaking and for those whose faith needs to be shaken. pray for those who need inspiration and for those who need to be inspiring and for the health of our community and for the wholeness of your children in it and dear father at this moment I come to ask a special blessing on students and faculty at the beginning of this semester strengthen our minds so that our minds can glorify you and so that we can bring glory in the things that we do. We pray, Lord, for our staff, even the invisible, in, invisible staff that so faithfully serves us. Help us be grateful to them and bless them as they serve you and us. We pray also, Lord, for the Church of Waco and her witness for Christ here in our city and around the world would be strong. And we, pray, we pray also, Lord, for the church, especially for the persecuted church. We ask that you would comfort Christians in places like Egypt, Nigeria, the Holy Land, Malaysia, Syria, the Philippines, places where uh, people are being persecuted because they believe in the name above all names, Jesus Christ, your Son. Be their comfort, Lord. And for all, for all of these, we pray to Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Splendor of a King Tremble. 
How great is our God. Good morning, Baylor. Happy New Year. Come on, you knew better than that. Happy New Year. Thank you. If you had a great Christmas, signify by saying, yelling, sick and beers. Well, that was just about everybody. Well, welcome back. You know, while I hope you were enjoying family, loved ones, friends uh, at, at Christmas, something pretty bad was happening in other parts of the world. Uh, in, in, in Baghdad, on Christmas Day, 37 Christians lost their lives because terrorists on that day targeted churches and neighborhoods. The birth of the Prince of Peace was marked in Baghdad by savage violence. As we begin this semester and gather here at chapel, so I hope we're not only counting our many blessings, but I want to pause with us to look at some of the challenges confronting our fallen world. And my theme is very simple. As illustrated by these Baghdad bombings, Human freedom, including religious liberty, is under siege. That's the bad news. The good news is we can do something about it. Let's travel around the world in 60 seconds. This is a photograph of my friend, Lee Min Chun. Barely over a week ago, he's a lawyer in Kuala Lumpur, the Bible Society of Malaysia, which he heads as a volunteer, was raided by Islamic religious authorities. And my friend, Min Chun, uh, who's the president of the Bible Society, was arrested and over 300 copies of the Bible were seized. And Minchun has been released. We're thankful for that. He's out on bail, but he's still waiting to hear what the charges are that are going to be filed against him. Libya. After years of Christians being arbitrarily arrested and forced to convert to Islam, Libya's National Congress voted just last month to make Sharia, the moral and religious law of Islam, the source of all legislation. Burma, 
in this Southeast Asian country, practicing Islam is life-threatening. Muslims are constantly victimized by violence. Kenya, our beloved Kenya, another Christmas Day tragedy. Muslim youths bombed two Kenyan churches in the wee hours of the morning on Christmas, leaving one church completely destroyed and thankfully no one was hurt. How did we get here? How did this happen? Well, let's go back in time to the mid-20th century, the end of World War II in the wake of the unspeakable horrors of the Holocaust. In June 1945, just weeks after Germany's surrender, a group of 51 nations came together in San Francisco to form what became the United Nations. And the UN Charter, which you see quoted there, you see what it says, to reaffirm faith in fundamental human rights, in the dignity and worth of the human person, in the equal rights of men and women and of nations, large and small. That's very inspiring language. And so three years later, 1948, to promote those noble aims, the United Nations General Assembly adopted the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. For the first time in history, the Declaration set forth a truly global commitment to protecting human rights. Throughout its 30 articles, two are drawn there. The, the Declaration eloquently expresses profound respect for the dignity of every human being. Read that language. And look, with respect to religious liberty, at what is Article 18. Everyone has the right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. These are noble aspirations, but they've not been translated into reality. Across the globe, the past generation, my generation, has in no small measure failed to achieve or, or even to begin to establish a genuine global culture of freedom. Let's look at the hard cold facts. In its 2013 survey, Freedom House, an international watchdog, reported that this, 27 countries showed significant declines in freedom. Only 16 showed improvement. Sadly, this is now the seventh consecutive year that Freedom House has reported more declines than gains in freedom around the world. Well, is there a silver lining? Well, let's look right here at home and count our blessings that in this world of diminishing freedom, uh, this is good because look, from the very beginning, America at its best has stood for freedom. Consider the familiar words from the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths. The conviction that all people everywhere, as a matter of fundamental human dignity, are entitled to certain foundational freedoms. This is woven into the fabric of America. The preamble to America's Constitution proclaims, we the people, and what is the purpose? To secure the, notice the rich word, the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. There was, of course, a, a deep flaw in America's founding, the unspeakable evil of slavery. And now, 226 years after America's founding, after the abolition of slavery and the ratification of 27 constitutional amendments, 
Americans still lift up the basic human rights embodied in the Universal Declaration. In all of our diversity in America, there is unity of purpose in those noble values. You know, not long ago, I was uh, in New York. I was in a cab, and I love to talk to the cabbies. And it turned out this cab driver was from Albania. And I asked him well, why he came to the United States. And, and this was his reply. And I loved it. I wrote it down. You can eat bread anywhere, but in America, you can eat your bread in freedom. Eating your bread in freedom. The single comment by the cabbie begs the broader question. In the 21st century, who will serve as champions of these noble causes of liberty and human dignity? What can be done? What can we do? Well, you know, last November, just a couple months ago, I was honored to speak at a TEDx conference in Switzerland. Tough duty. Nice place. And I love the theme of the conference. Great expectations, like Charles Dickens. I love that. And today, my prayerful great expectation for you, for you, and for this rising generation, your generation of servant leaders, is to vigorously promote the culture of freedom in a hurting and fallen world. We need you. We need your energy. We need your creativity. So what can you do? Four steps. First, steep yourself in the biblical and intellectual foundations of freedom. You know, in the New Testament alone, just consider those scriptures. There are 15 different references to freedom. Some of them are very familiar to you. Paul's letter to the Galatians, his letter to the church at Corinth. And look, of course, at the mighty words, the words of our Lord, the gospel according to John, the beloved disciple. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Or consider the agents, Plato and Aristotle. I drew from Aristotle's politics, book three, of city, a polis, is a community of those who are free and equal. Many centuries later, the great John Milton advocated vigorously in favor of freedom of speech. Consider this Miltonian language from his mighty Aeropagetica. Give me liberty to know, to utter, and to argue freely. Here are key words. This is steeped in Baptist tradition as well, according to conscience. And look at what John Milton said. Above all liberties. Later in the 17th century, John Locke, the father of modern democracy, as he's sometimes called, wrote, all mankind being equal and independent, no one ought to harm another in his life, health, liberty, or possessions. Second, prepare yourselves for the inevitable, the state's infringement upon individual liberties. Recall those troubling reports from Freedom House. So how do we respond? First, try to persuade and to educate. In the great Baylor tradition, some of you will actually run for public office. You'll hold public office. You may be governor. You will help shape the laws that affect your own community or your country. And I applaud you for doing so. Many of you will be called to serve in other countries, to serve what our Lord calls those who our Lord called the least of these. And others will have a sense we're going to stay behind the scenes. But You'll still be engaged as citizens of influence, citizens in 
the polis. I applaud you as well. But if education, persuasion, and yes, politics fail, then, then what? As a last resort, one must prayerfully consider acts of civil disobedience. That takes courage, it takes fortitude. And that brings me to Dr. King, whose birthday we celebrate on Monday. One of the towering examples of civil disobedience in America's 20th century. Dr. King was, of course, the driving force in the civil rights movement in our country. Beginning at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, Dr. King's life outside the pulpit was devoted to advancing racial equality. Free at last. His actions, tragically ended by assassination, led to Congress's passage of the landmark Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Consider the man who greatly influenced Dr. King, Mahatma Gandhi, through mass movements of nonviolent civil disobedience. Gandhi successfully led the struggle for India's independence from Britain in the late 1940s. And of course, we remember the great Nelson Mandela. Just last month, the world bade farewell to this great president of South Africa, the revolutionary who had been imprisoned for almost 30 years due to his protest against the evils of apartheid. A contemporary example, look at her. Malala Yousafzai. She's 16 years old, a Pakistani girl nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. You know, in 2009, the Taliban banned Malala and her friends from going to school just because they were young girls. Her response, blogging. At the tender age of 11, Malala began writing under a pseudonym for the BBC in 2012. While riding on her school bus, Malala was shot in the head by the Taliban. As you can see, she survived. Her courage has drawn international attention as she continues bravely to speak out at great risk. You might say, you know, I'm not really the civil disobedience type. And you know what? Neither am I. When push comes to shove, I'm much more likely to obey and fall back instead on education and, and persuasion and, and law and politics. And perhaps that's a lack of courage on, on my part. But in any event, how can those of us who are a little less courageous promote a culture of human freedom? And that brings me to point three. We can be a freedom culture builder. We can build upon those biblical and intellectual foundations. We can champion the cause of freedom in everyday life. We can do specific things consistent with our talents and our eventual vocation in some way, but every one of us can do something. We've got to choose to get off the bench and get out on the field. I love the story of the father and son walking along the beach, and they come across a large number of starfish. The father stops, and he picks one up and tosses it back into the sea, and the little boy says, Dad, why? There, there's so many of them. 
And the Father responds because we can all do something. Doing something. Let me give an, an example. Christian missionaries in carrying out the Great Commission. They are helping create and foster a culture of freedom, including religious liberty. Let me explain. Here's a political scientist. Yeah, a political scientist. Robert Woodbury teaches at the National University of Singapore. And he is a shining example of a freedom culture builder as a scholar. Recently garnering the coveted top prize of the American Political Science Association, Dr. Woodbury, through social science, demonstrated that in countries ranging from China and India to Nigeria and Togo, the sacrificial service of Christian missionaries has resulted in higher economic growth, better health outcomes, and higher educational achievement in the particular neighborhoods or regions that the missionaries serve in comparison to those without missionaries. You know, the reason is simple. In Christian love and without discrimination, missionaries not only are preaching the gospel, but they establish and they operate hospitals, medical clinics, schools, and orphanages. And in doing so, by word and by deed, Missionaries are promoting human dignity and human freedom. Let me cite one of my favorite examples, IJM. The International Justice Mission, nonprofit human rights group, brings rescue to victims of slavery, especially women caught up in human trafficking, other forms of oppression. Back in 1997, a young American lawyer named Gary Haugen founded IJM just a few years after he had had an assignment from the United Nations. He led a team of forensic lawyers, scientists, to investigate the 1994 genocide in Rwanda. And there, Gary and his team gathered that evidence to put on before an international war crimes tribunal. He was overwhelmed by what he saw. When returning to the United States, Gary resolved to do even more. In faith, he launched IJM. And since its founding in the late 1990s, IJM has opened 16 field offices around the world, in Asia, in Africa, in Latin America. And through its important work, the cause of freedom is being served. And on college campuses throughout the United States, including right here at Baylor, no fewer than 150 IJM chapters are doing important work. You will find other ways as well. Fourth. And finally, train yourself now for servant leadership. Work on multiplying your effectiveness as an individual and as a cultivator of freedom through your influence as a servant leader. How? Consider the advice of Dr. John Mather, who won the Nobel Prize in Physics in 2006. Speaking here at Baylor last semester, Dr. Mather said this, in life, Every one of us needs to know how to write and speak well and how to persuade. Wise advice from a Nobel laureate, not in literature, but in physics. At Baylor, we expect each of you to graduate with a mastery of the four C's, the general education outcomes. As future servant leaders, regardless of your field, whether it's in science, humanities, teaching, whatever it is, I encourage you to work intentionally and assiduously to develop these four skill sets, 
during your Baylor journey. And so as we close this morning, I'd like for you to think back to my friend Min Chun in Kuala Lumpur, the courageous lawyer and leader, avocationally, of the Bible Society of Malaysia. Even in the wake of his arrest, he remains confident. And reflecting on his arrest, he sent this email out to his friends. God is in control and has a purpose for this incident. God bless each of you. Become culture builders for freedom. Without grabbing backpacks or coats or anything, would you stand for our blessing as we go? Friends, I, I pray now for you that each one of you will be able to go into this day living in the reality of and sharing the reality of the freedom that we know in Christ. Go in peace.